Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Classical podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Talking Classical podcast and you'll receive a notification every time a new episode is released. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, on the Talking Classical blog and on Facebook and YouTube. Many thanks for listening once again. I hope that you'll be able to join me for the next episode very soon. Today we're joined by Anthony Wilkes, who is the creator of the PlaySchool 2 Music Scanner app. Thank you so much, Anthony, for joining me. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and the PlaySchool 2 app. Hi, Annabelle. It's, it's great to be here talking to you on your podcast. Well, me, I'm, I guess I'm a technology person uh, and, uh, and a musician. I went to music college as, uh, as a young man, and I also uh, studied engineering at Manchester and old, where one of the first computing departments originated. And during my life, I've organized a number of startups covering uh, various topics in the computing industry. Around um, the time of the beginning of the whole uh, optical uh, music recognition thing that I was involved in, that's, I guess, around 2005. I felt that what I wanted to do next was to was something to do with music as well as computers. And um, I looked around and to see what opportunities there might be. The idea of uh, optical music recognition attracted me for, for various reasons. At that time, there, there were no apps, but there was a World Wide Web and there was a good deal of music on the World Wide Web. Also, one could, if one read a page of text on the web, you could get the text spoken through a text-to-speech apps, but you couldn't get a piece of music played. So if you're looking at a piece of music, if you didn't read music or you didn't read music well enough, then you were stuck. You couldn't hear what the music sounded like. And it seemed to me a wonderful idea that, that sheet music should have a play button, as it were. And uh, I saw it at that time, uh, one of the opportunities, as adding that functionality to the World Wide Web in general. Another aspect, another part of the opportunity was that I felt that optical music recognition was something that musical technology had to have. It was, uh, it was, if you like, the opposite of printing music. Music, uh, the fundamental form of music, of all music, is printed Western notation, if it's Western music. And no matter what formats might be invented for, for transferring music electronically, the primary thing is always the visual form. That's what composers write in, that's what people play from, and that, that documents the music, the, the thing we call the music. So there must be a way of, of producing that music, and that's printing it, but there must also be a way of reading it, which can be done by a person, but requires optical music recognition to, to read it. With that, that realisation of the, the fundamental character of this technology, I uh, started experimenting with uh, creating an optical recognition program. That process took many years, and during that time, a lot happened in the computer industry, in particular, smartphones and apps. But before we got to that point, the, the original intention uh, was to provide a toolkit that other developers could use 
to provide optical music recognition in applications. And by that, I mean the music industry generally, not, not just PCs, not apps, but in general. But during that, during that time, apps came along and, uh, and the, the opportunity was obvious. The, the, the dream of having a, um, an app which you could point at a piece of music and hear the music played back to you. By that time, the optical recognition system worked quite well uh, and um, we were well on the way to publishing a, a, a toolkit that people could use in the industry. So I uh, asked a few musical friends to take pictures of their music with their phones and send it to me. And they, uh, they did that and, and what I got back horrified me. Uh, music is, consists of straight, nice straight stave lines and vertical bar lines and everything is nice and rectilinear and organized. But that's not true in a smartphone photograph. Close-up photography uh, introduces a galaxy of different optical distortions. And the reality of it rather shocked me. However, uh, it added another dimension to, really to, to optical music recognition. However, uh, we got through that one and we produced our first optical recognition system for smartphones in uh, about 2015. That first app was called PlayScore, just plain PlayScore. That's not, not available anymore, it's been superseded. We call it PlayScore Classic now. It was a very, very primitive app, black screen and two buttons, and it would play one page of music. It was, it was very remarkable, but it, it was really just a toy. It wasn't very useful for anything other than perhaps just listening to a page of music. And, and that was very apparent to us, and it was apparent to the comments of users and, uh, and its reception in the industry generally. So we set out to make a much more usable and comprehensive app, and that's PlayScore 2. And PlayScore 2 can really do any, anything, more or less anything you would want to do with optical music recognition. I, I wanted to ask you about the connection that you have between music and engineering, because that's quite an interesting combination. So how, why did you decide to combine the two? Well, I've been, uh, I come from a computing family. Uh, my father was one of the early computer pioneers, and I grew up in the period when computers were first starting to be developed in, in the 50s. I was very lucky as a small boy to be able to see some of these machines. And indeed, um, when the, the machines were decommissioned as a technical youngster, I used to have first, first um, go at the pickings and uh, I could collect together components which I could make into crazy adventures at yeah. home. Uh, but I was also interested in music. I went to music college as well as doing engineering. And in fact, this is not not terribly uncommon a lot of people scientific people technical people people with scientific interests are also interested in music and people say that music and maths go together i think music and engineering and technology and science do uh, somehow go together at least you get uh, a lot of people from those disciplines interested in music and i'm one of those, those people i suppose the difference is that I had the opportunity to combine the two. Um, so it's a very it's an attractive idea to, to, to do it, and, and I had uh, often thought about it, but finding the right project that would uh, let me combine them, uh, well, that's not so easy, but, uh, uh, but it came along and I jumped at it.
And do you still play music? Yes, I'm a chamber music person and uh, I help run an orchestra uh, in Oxford. Uh, I play a lot of string quartets and I do some performing. I'm also an composer. So you mentioned this phrase, optical music recognition. Can you explain to our listeners what that means and how has optical music recognition changed the musical landscape over, say, the past 50 years or so? Well, optical music recognition is the the name given to a, a process whereby printed music, or indeed handwritten music, but music notation is read by a computer. And I mean read not in the sense of taking a photograph, but in the sense of OCR, which uh, I think people will know about, optical character recognition. So the the system takes a photograph, but then interprets the music as music, uh, knows about all the notes, timing, every aspect of the music, and encodes that in an electronic form that can be played uh, or can be transferred to other computers. For example, a a music layout program like Sibelius or Dorico. So that's what optical music recognition is. It doesn't have a history of 50 years. It has a history of, I should think, perhaps 15 or 20 years at the most. The first optical recognition product, commercial product, was by MusiTech called SmartScore. Uh, before that, there, there have been quite a number of academic attempts, and, and indeed, it's quite an active academic field. But that was the first product, and that was sometime in, I think, very late 90s, something of that sort. There have been one or two other products si- since uh, then, uh, Photoscore, but not a great many. And they've all been for PCs and Macs, for desktop machines, and they've been big, serious applications and aimed really at the professional uh, music market. People who, people who understand music very well, understand computers pretty well, and are interested in arranging and composing uh, on, at a fairly, fairly professional level. So tell us a little bit more then about what PlaySCORE 2 can do. Well, the idea of creating PlaySCORE was that there was a great deal more that could be done with optical music recognition than helping um, professional musicians compose and lay out music. It seemed to us that that a very great many musicians, amateur musicians, students, the whole education industry could benefit from simple optical music recognition, which could play a score, which could separate out parts, uh, which could transpose music. In other words, give, give music a play button. We felt the opportunity and the interest and the usefulness of that went well beyond professional engravers. And that certainly turned out to be the case. Some examples, well, a choir might use optical music recognition. They, they might photograph their, their score and then the, the choir director would hand out playable scores using play score to the sopranos, altos, tenors, and basses. And they could learn their parts from from those scores with the parts separated. So they could hear their part, they could stop it and start it, they could play it slowly or fast and with the other parts in the background or on its own. And this could be used as a a tool, this is used as a tool for learning choral parts. 
So that's one application. Another application, a very common application, is that of, of the accompanist. Until recently, if one wanted to, to, to practice a sonata or practice a piece, one needed an accompanist. And accompanists aren't always to hand. With something like play score, you don't need an accompanist, at least for practicing. You can take a photograph of your score and, uh, and have it play along with you. But there are also uses for, uh, for play score in arranging and composition and in, and in musical analysis. I play a lot of string quartets and when you play a string quartet, you generally have a copy of the score, but uh, we're not all good score readers. And it's very useful to be able to photograph a page of the score and hear maybe just the, the inner parts playing or analyze, have to see where the themes come in and, uh, and how, they, how they dovetail together. And with something like play score, you can do that. You can photograph the music easily and you can play it back selectively, stopping and starting, playing individual parts, putting them together and hearing what they sound like, uh, and then um, comparing that with the real thing as you play it yourself. And how have users responded to the app? Well, we now have quite a number of users. I should think a quarter of those are probably singers. It's my understanding that in North America alone, there are, there are some 50 million singers. It seems unbelievable, but singing and choirs are tremendously popular. And we've enjoyed a great take up among those people. Before PlayScore, singers would learn their parts very often using MIDI files. The director would prepare a MIDI file. The singers would take it home and would sing along to it with the score. PlayScore improves that process uh, enormously. The, director still um, still prepares the the parts but the, the the singers can see the score and connect the score with the with the sound so they might tap on a particular bar and that bar would be played perhaps their part with the other parts in the background and they could sing along with it and then perhaps repeat a section or sing it slowly giving them so much more flexibility than they could previously so it's been very popular in that world Probably the next most popular use is that of accompanist. Lots of people use PlaySchool to accompany. And in fact, the most demanded feature for the next release is accounting that will allow people to start PlaySchool and then go and pick up their instrument and, and start playing. So that, that suggests that lots of people are using it for that purpose. The rest of the, the, the user base are probably doing things like analyzing music, seeing what music sounds like, and a proportion of them are using the output Music XML to um, go into score editors like Dorico, where they can arrange music and change the key and move parts around and do all the things that you, you do when working with music. And I heard the app is very popular with school teachers as well. Yeah, education is, is one, of the, one of the biggest growth areas for us. Uh, it has so many uses in education. Well, to begin with, a teacher who may not be a good pianist can uh, play any piece of music to the, to the class. They can give uh, pupils playing scores that they can take home on their own phones and play on their own phones and uh, interact with on their own phones. And you know, all those musical analysis things that are all part of music education. And of course, there's lots of singing and lots of playing 
in music education, obviously, and, uh, and play score comes into all of that. So it's, it's becoming quite, uh, quite an important tool in musical uh, education, both at very elementary level, right up to music college level. There have been many apps that have been developed over the last few years to help people practice their music or to arrange music in score editors. So what would you say makes PlaySchool 2 unique and different compared to other apps on the market? I mean, a great many music apps are programs which will allow you to, to input music, to photograph it or load a, uh, a PDF score and put it on your music stand and play, play from it. This is very useful, lots of people do this, but those programs simply display the music. Uh, and certainly allow you to annotate it and have lots of useful features, but they, they don't themselves understand the music. They can't play it and they can't export it as MIDI or Music XML. They're limited to functions which treat the music essentially as a, a, as a picture, which isn't a great advance on uh, on printed music. It is an advance, but, but not a great advance. With something like PlayScore 2, you can hear the music and that makes a huge difference. So that's what makes it unique. It's, it's the only app uh, capable of, of doing that uh, with music generally, um, with um, easy music and with quite sophisticated music like uh, Beethoven sonatas or, or Chopin. In fact, most Western music up to uh, well, and including the 20th century, 20th and 21st century. What developments do you have for PlaySchool 2 in the future? Well, the next big feature will be including optical character recognition so that lyrics are recognised. This actually only affects people who use PlaySchool to assist with musical engraving. This only applies to people who use PlaySchool to export music XML but that, that is a significant number of people, and um, it really completes the capability of PlaySchool in that it, it can, can process the whole of music, not, not just the notes and uh, uh, articulation, slurs and so on, but a text as well. So that's the next big feature. There are also some, some other things. There's an accounting track, now a metronome. As, as always, improvements to the uh, accuracy and Going back to the technological side of PlaySchool 2 and optical music recognition, are there any particular issues that surround the technologies? Um, what challenges have you faced when you've been using OMR in PlaySchool 2? Well, for me, optical music recognition is an absolutely fascinating topic. Part of it, at, last, at least, is a branch of computer vision that is trying to get a computer to perceive with, uh, with a camera uh, uh, the way we perceive or something approaching the way we perceive with our eyes. Anybody who's had anything to do with computer vision is struck by the uh, miraculous faculty that we have in human vision. Uh, we take it so for granted, but the things we can do uh, with our vision are, are, are quite astonishing. Uh, imagine a um, sight reading a piece of music. What's involved there? We open our eyes and there before us is the score arrayed, systems and staves all, all organized 
our eyes go, go to the notes and the beams and immediately it all makes sense. Imagine what lies behind that. If you think of what the equivalent might be for a computer, well, then imagine that you close your eyes and before you, you have a, a sort of embossed score. That's to say a score where the, where the black bits are, are sticking up a little bit. And in your hand, you have a stylus and you can move around with the stylus and feel the edges of the, the various symbols. Well, imagine that that's what a computer is doing. It has to move that stylus around and, and use that to perceive, to perceive the music. Now, you could, you could move around and feel out the notes and you could reproduce them. You could make a drawing. You could, uh, you, you could transcribe the score to another score, but that doesn't get you anywhere. All you've got is another, is another drawing. Uh, what uh, you have to do is to, uh, to discover the meaning behind all those symbols and put it together. That gives you some idea of the, of the visual side of, uh, of uh, reading a score electronically. There are other challenges too, the musical side, or at least the, uh, the putting the score together from, from what's there visually. To take an example, it's not always easy to see what the, to discover what the meter of a score is. If somebody photographs a random page, there may not be a time signature, and in any case, time signatures are oft, often not readable. And so the, the meter uh, has to be established by some means. Before the meter is known, very little else can be known. A common problem is the presence of tuplets, triplets, for example, that are unmarked as such. They might be three quavers or they might be a triplet. And, and it's purely the intelligence of the player or, or indeed the fact that on the previous page, they have been marked as triplets that tells you what they are. Well, I mean, if you were to take a pattern like ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-tum-tum-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-tum-tum, well, that, if you, you wrote that down, it, it could be three, four, it could be um, four, four. So the process of, of discovering which it is and what the meter of the score is, is, uh, is non-trivial. Another topic um, is alignment. We generally think that, that notes that sound at the same time are aligned vertically with one another. But if you look at piano music, that just isn't so. That often notes sounding at the same time are further away from one another than consecutive notes, uh, than consecutive notes in another part. That's really interesting that you talk about the challenges of OMR presented with regards to tablature, rhythm. So how accurate then is optical music recognition? Is it 100% accurate or is it still a technology that's constantly being updated and improved? Well, uh, it is a technology that's being constantly updated and improved. But do, do remember that human uh, sight reading is not 100% accurate. I mean, I, I don't think you can go to a concert uh, in which every note is there in the right place. Uh, we don't mind that at all. It's in, in, entirely uh, acceptable. It's, um, human sight reading is not perfect and neither is optical music recognition, but they're, they're imperfect in different ways. If the computer has misrecognized something in the score, you can't just go back and correct it, it'll, it'll be the same. So that's, that's a different sort of uh, inaccuracy. The technology has been getting better over the years and uh, we believe that PlayScore is the most accurate that can be done in 2021. But of course, there's a long way to go. 
for complete accuracy and and in, indeed technology that, that reads handwritten music doesn't exist at all and remains a big challenge. Do you think that um, the way that people have are able to learn music now has been improved by technology or do you think that maybe there are perhaps some disadvantages of technology? Well I think many people think and there's some truth in this that that the ubiquitousness of recorded music and the fact that people can um, can have music without having to learn how to play it make, makes us lazy and, uh, and less inclined to, to uh, engage in musical activities. Uh, you might think so. I don't think this is true. There are many more musicians now than there ever have been uh, relative to the population. Uh, music, classical music, are incredibly popular now. What technology has got to do with that, I don't know, but I don't think it, it, uh, it impedes it. And certainly things like PlayScore and the ability to, to lay out music on a computer so that it's readable in a standard form. How can our listeners find out about PlayScore 2? Well, you can type PlayScore into the, uh, into the Google search engine and You'll see lots about it. You can click on any of the links and that'll take you to our site or to the app store and you can go right ahead and uh, and download the app. Thank you, Anthony. It's been great talking to you and wish you all the best with the success of PlayScore 2. Thank you. Thank thank you, Anna. (laughs) Uh,